We now begin Maseches Chala. Chala means loaf, a portion of bread. And it's the mitzvah to take a portion of one's dough and set it aside for the Kohen as a gift. The source for the mitzvah of Chala are just a few psukim in Parsha Shalach. It's in Perak Tesvav of Amidbar. The Pasuk says, V'yadabar Hashem Moshe Lemor. Hashem commanded Moshe saying, Debrel B'nei Yisrael v'amarta lehem b'vo'achem el Eretz Excuse me, El Haaretz, Asharani Mevi Eschem Shama. When you come into the land that I'm bringing you towards, and this is distinct if you're familiar with the other times that mitzvahs that depend upon Eretzral are introduced, they typically start with Ki Tavo or Ki Tavo. So here when it says Bevoachem, um, it's different when you, when you enter into. And from here we learn that the mitzvah of Chala is a mitzvah that not just depends on Eretz Yisrael, it's not a, one of the mitzvahs of Tuluyas Baaretz, but that it was a mitzvah that was incumbent upon the Jews as soon as they entered into Eretz Yisrael, as opposed to most of the other mitzvahs of Tuluyas Baaretz, which are contingent upon the Jews having um, conquered and apportioned the land. So it took a 14-year process after Yeshua led the Jews into Israel, seven years um, of conquest and seven years of apportionment before many of the other mitzvahs like Trumas and Maestras kicked in as a chiv, but the mitzvah of Chala started from the very beginning and although that may sound um, academic that's a long time ago of course, it'll actually have um, significant ramifications regarding um, the halachas of Chala and how they apply um, and perhaps one of the ramifications of that difference, possibly, is that um, the din is, when it comes to challah, the mitzvah applies midorabanan even outside of Eretz Yisrael. That's for sure the data. Midorabanan, the mitzvah will apply outside of Israel, um, just like it applies midorais in Eretz Yisrael when the, when the Jews, the majority of Jews are in the country of Eretz Yisrael. Um, and the reason why that is the case, um, why the rabbis were motivated to make that distinction, may well be, at least in part, because of the difference that I just mentioned the Pasuk continues on and says the next Pasuk, Pasuk Yates, V'haya ba'achalchem milechem ha'aretz, when you eat from the bread of the land, tarimu truma l'ashem. You should lift up, raise up a portion of truma to Hashem. So you see here that the challah we're talking about is referred to as truma. And that is to say that there are actually four things in the Torah, four or five, that are referred to as truma. We've already discussed Truma Gedola, the first portion that's given to the Kohen from the farmer, Yisrael, as well as Trumas Meiser, the portion that's given, the 10% that the Levi receives, that the Levi gives to the Kohen. Um, here we have Chala. There will also be Bikurim, a subsequent. Bikurim is a little different. And in fact, the truth is the Torah also sometimes conflates Kachim with uh, Truma. But in any case, um, here we consume there, there are four types of, let's call them types of food, if you will, for portions that have essentially the same status of truma, truma gadola, and truma smeiser, we're familiar with. Now we hear of chala, and we'll get to bikurim in a bit. So that is to say that all the halachas that we discussed in Masechah's truma, about the truma itself, that is to say that it's food specifically for a kohen, that a non-kohen may not eat it, and if he does, he's liable to misabdei mime, that the kohen himself must eat it b'tahara, and that he's required to keep it tahor, and if it becomes Tameh, he still, the Kohen still receives it, but it must be destroyed, and he's allowed to get benefit from it as it's being destroyed, using it as fuel, etc. Um, 
that one who eats it inadvertently, who's not a Kohen, um, must pay this this chomesh, this extra, for every four units that he consumes, he adds a fifth um, to Chiva Kapara. All those halachas that apply to Truma, equally to Truma Gadol and Truma's Meisra, also apply to Chala. Um, so we're not going to discuss that at all here in the Hagdama, really in the Masech at all. Um, it just will go without any further saying that Chala, once it's been separated, um, carries the same kind of status as as Truma Gadol and Truma's Meisra. It's, it's Truma, as the Pasuk just said. So our focus will be on when one is required to take this Chala portion from the dough, which will have the status of Truma, once it's taken, um, and so on. So that, that will be the focus on, on when and how one separates Truma. The next Pasach, Pasachaf says, Reishis Ariso Sechem, the first of your kneading trough, where you're going to mix your flour and water together, and that's when the mitzvah will kick in, once one has um, begun to mix some flour and water together in the bowl, of the kneading bowl. Chala, it is chala, again chala meaning like a, a piece of bread. Tarimu, truma, ketrumas goren, ken tarimuosa. It will be truma, and the same way one um, separates some truma at the threshing floor, meaning truma gadola, so this will also have to be separated and set the same way. So, as I just said, the halachas essentially are the same in terms of how we treat it. Um, also, the same way when it comes to truma gadola, you will recall that there is no shear midoraisa. You can give any amount of truma. You can give one little a kernel, and that will exempt the entire pile from further truma requirements. Um, or you can give essentially all but one kernel. Um, any amount you want, you can give midoraisa. Midorabun, you will call when it came to truma. The rabbi set um, standards. And the, the, the benoni, the average person, was expected to give one one part in every 50 as truma, 2%. So similarly, when it comes to chala, the obligation to separate challah, there's no shior midoraisa, no required amount. You just have to give some of your dough and set it aside for the kohen. Uh, Midorabanan, uh, the rabbis felt that the challah should be given in a quantity that's of some significance to the kohen, and therefore they said that for private persons who are separating challah from their dough recipe, they should give one twenty-fourth of the total challah, the total dough, I should say, and... Um, if one's producing in large quantities, let's say a baker, so then he's allowed to give one forty-eighth of the dough. Okay, more about that and those quantities in the Masech itself. Okay? And finally, the Pasuk says, Mereshus arisosechem titnu l'ashem tarumul l'adorosechem Excuse me, I'm sorry. Mereshus arisosechem titnu l'ashem truma l'adorosechem From the first of your kneading bowls, you will give to Hashem a truma, a portion for generations. So um, this essentially tells you that uh, it's, it's, it's truth is it's, it's relatively repetitive um, but it it's required to tell you um, that there is no shear etc. like truma. That's like the limit comes to that, this extra yitur. Okay, so that's those are the psukim. And that's the basic gist of what truma is all about. Um, let me talk about just the the practicalities of taking it, and then the technicalities of when one must take it. So the practicalities of taking it is, when one has dough in front of him, that is say, um, he or she is mixing water and flour together, um, as soon as they come together, one should take from that mixture a portion. What would happen, like let's say, what would ha- what will happen today, when it's only a misfit or a bunin, even chutzl arts and eretz all the same, is one would take the dough, if it has the requisite amount of flour and water together, um, and 
would kind of hold a piece of the dough and then say a bracha, asher kedishanu b'mitzvosa v'tzivanu ashkenazan say lahafresh chala, to separate chala, and some have the full nusach, they say lahafresh chala min ha'isa, to separate chala from the dough, some don't say min ha'isa. Um, and then you would do the physical separation after making the bracha, taking aside a piece, the, the practice today is separate um, just a kazayas amount, not um, the 124th I said before, because it's going to be burned automatically because we're all tummy. Um, and then declare the Kriya shame that we've seen in other hafrashos, like in Trumas and Maestras, you will declare, Harezu Chala, you'll say this piece that's been separated from the dough, the main dough, the separated piece of dough, is this is the Chala. And then it's set aside. Um, the custom is to, to burn, the proper practice is to burn that piece, uh, the reason why is once it becomes tummy, and it's for sure tummy because it's been mixed with water, making it now hukshulakabutuma, and now I know cones can eat it, it must be destroyed as the Torah command, so it's going to be burned. And there are different customs in practice how to burn it, how you could just, you know, double wrap it and put it into the bottom of your oven, as many people do, or put it on the stovetop, on the grate, and burn it. Um, both of those have kind of technical problems. Um, the technical problem of putting it on the stovetop is that it makes a lot of black smoke, um, which is pretty unpleasant. And the technical problem of putting it in your oven is you got to make sure that um, it burns fully through when it's doubly wrapped. If you don't double wrap it, since chala is like truma's is or it's a very severe kind of forbidden food, just the same way you wouldn't just cavalierly throw a piece of pork and burn it in your oven because you're afraid to trade up your oven, you have the same kind of problems with truma, so then you have to double wrap it, make sure it's not there in the same time as other foods, etc. So it's a little tricky. In any case, um, there are different customs. Uh, my personal custom is to actually wrap it up and put it in the freezer and save all those little pieces of truma from the whole year and then burn them in the open fire with the chametz um, on Erev Pesach. Um, other people look very askance at that practice because the whole point the rabbi said for burning the chal immediately is so it shouldn't get mixed up with the rest of your food and um, saving it in your freezer all year is exactly undermining that idea, perhaps, arguably. But in any case, that's what I do in my home. You should ask your rabbi what to do um, based on, you know, the practicalities of your, of your kitchen and your life um, with the chal you separate. So that's the, the practicalities. Now, the technicalities. The technicalities are that chal is applicable to any um, flour that's made of the five grains. We'll discuss that in the first mission already. Um, wheat, barley, spelt, oat, and rye. Provided you have enough flour in to, that constitutes the dough. How much is enough? So it's based on the portion that the Jews received for the daily bread, let's call it, in, in the Midbar, in the, de, in the desert, which was um, of man. And that man was received, it was um, a tenth of an ephah. Okay, the the amount is called a tenth, a tenth of an ephah. And an ephah turns out, a tenth of an ephah turns out to be um, 43.2 eggs volume. So I'll give you a quick derivation of that. Um, you can, if, I'll go through quickly. You can pause the tape and reverse it if you want to hear it a second time. But here, here's the basic. This is worth remembering. Actually, this part of it's worth remembering. The mnemonic to keep track of the volumes in the Torah is called Askalav Gudu. So if you take a piece of paper, write down those five letters for Askalav, Aleph, Samach, Kuf, Lamed, and Base. Those stand for Eifa, the largest measure, Sa'a, Kav, Lug, and Beitza. And the Gudu part, Gimel, Vav, Dalet, Vav, that you sort of write um, beneath those fo- those four letters of Gudu, you write beneath the five letters of Askalav. And the idea is, for example, if you do it and see, you'll see that, for example, the Gimel 
under the between the Aleph and the Samach is to tell you that there are three Sa in one Eifa. And there's six, that's the Vav, Kabin in one Sa, Dalit is there are four Lug in one Kav, and finally the Vav is that there are six Beitzas in one Lug. In any case, if you start doing the multiplication, you'll see there are six Beitzas in a Lug, times four makes 24 Beitzas in a Kav, times six makes 144 Beitzas eggs in a Sa, times three means 432 eggs Beitzas in one Eifa, and a tenth of an eifa means you divide it by ten, so you get to 43.2. Just a mnemonic to try to, to remember it, um, of the 43.2 number, the gematria of chala is 43. So that is a reminder. In any case, um, so if you have 43.2 eggs volume of flour, that will be the amount that you're required to separate chala from. Okay? Less than that, not. Now, that's all fine. Um, the problem is that the Tzlach, that's the note of Yehuda, who lived roughly 300 years ago in Poland, um, he noted that the Gemara Pesachim says that if you don't have, or you don't want to use, you know, eggs and eggs and eggs to measure things out, you could use your fingers. The etzba, which is the standard person's width of his index finger, um, if you measure that out, says the Gemara, you can have 10 etzbaot, a square that, or a, a prism, a, you know, three-dimensional Call it a rectangle if you don't know. Um, so if it's if it's ten, it's about high. By ten, it's about long. By three and a ninth, it's about wide. That's how it works out. So then it's the same volume as the tenth of an eifa. So meaning, if you do the math, ten times ten is a hundred. Times three and a ninth is three hundred and eleven, roughly, cubic finger breadths. Um, so the Gemara is saying that three hundred and eleven cubic finger breadths is the same volume as 43.2 eggs. The problem, says the note of Yehuda, as he mentioned the Tzlach, is in, in Psachim, is that uh, if you actually try this experiment at home, as he did, he found that with his fingers, the volume was almost twice the size as the eggs volume. So the finger volume came out much bigger, um, which was confounding. Um, his solution to that problem, which ends up having very far and wide ramifications potentially um, to this very day, is that the eggs must have shrunk between the time of the Talmud and the time of his doing the measuring. And that being the case, his concern is that when the Torah talks about eggs, it's talking about much bigger eggs, and therefore he sort of ends up doubling the measurement. So the Tzlach already says that to take Chal with a bracha, you shouldn't go for 43.2 eggs volume, but twice that amount, 86.4. Okay. Um, other people don't love that solution. Uh, that's beyond the scope of this introduction. The point, however, is that because of this discrepancy um, between the two ways to measure the volume of um, a tenth of an eifa, so there is a, when one in practice, and nowadays, asks the question, must I separate challah from this batch of dough? Uh, there are three possible answers. The answer is either A, no, you don't need to separate challah because it's too small of a recipe, or yes, you have to separate challah and you should make a bracha, or there's a middle stage where we're not sure if you have to separate challah, so you should separate challah, but you don't make a bracha just in case it's not required. So just a matter of practicalities, and the the numbers, I'll use the star K in the United States, who passed like Rav Heinemann, um, and they say that when you get a recipe that calls for 2.6 pounds of flour, roughly 1.18 um 
kilos of flour, um, which works out to being, on average, about eight and two-thirds cups of flour. Any recipe calling for that amount of flour, eight and two-thirds cups, 2.6 pounds of flour, or more, you must separate challah. But you don't make a bracha, okay? If, however, you're making a larger recipe and you're making what's called pas, real bread, as opposed to pasta baba kisnen, cake and flour, cake and cookies and stuff, if you're making real bread, so then um, once you've reached the, the threshold, another higher threshold, you must separate with a bracha. Um, they give two, there's two different customs because there's a range of opinions of, of how to do these measurements. Um, so you should follow your custom or ask your rabbi and get a psaac of exactly what is the threshold for making a bracha. This is important. Um, but either possibility A is from 3.675 pounds and onwards, which is about 12 and a quarter cups. That's one shita. Past 12 and a quarter cups, you should now make the bracha. Um, and others don't make a bracha until they have 4.95 pounds, which is basically a whole bag of flour in America, um, which is about 16 and a half cups of flour. Okay, so once you have five pounds or more than 16 and a half cups of flour in your recipe, according to everybody, if you're making bread um, or any other kind of baked grain, that's, you know, then, then um, that doesn't constitute possible of a kiss, and it's not sweet and filled with sugar or whatever, chocolate and fruit juices, um, and not flaky. Um, it's regular, you know, not like an apple cake or something. It's a real, real bread or, you know, bagels and stuff like that. Challah. So then you must separate um, challah with a bracha. Okay? The practicalities are important because every home makes challah and bread from time to time. So you have to ask your rav which uh, which year you should go with in terms of making the bracha. Okay. So those are the technicalities. Um, if, one important thing, if you're making baked grain, meaning when I say baked, I mean as opposed to boiled or fried, um, but if you're using dry heat, so then if you're using a batter, as like a like cake batter, or maybe making pancakes, so then of course you can't separate that kazayas um, out prior to cooking it because it's like liquid batter, so it's not possible. So in the scenario where you're using a loose batter, then you must first bake the cake or bake the bread and, and, you know, whatever it is, the the pancakes, whatever it is, and then separate the challah after it's baked. And in fact, if you forgot to make, to separate challah in the dough stage for regular bread, similarly, you would just separate out one twenty-fourth of your bread and call it challah, and that would still be acceptable. Okay, so um, that's our introduction to challah, and now we will, Be'ez Hashem, begin the Masechta in earnest.